We're in the summer in the scriptures still, and uh, anybody need a prize? I'll give you a prize if you started last week and hadn't done it yet, and you were like, I did, I jumped in, I believed you, and I did it, I stumped in. Anyone? All right, it means you're all doing it. That's so great. It's fantastic that you're all in the summer of scriptures. And uh, this week started with 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and the Timothys, Titus, Philemon, and it, and it got us in, if you were reading this morning, beginning of Hebrews a little bit. Don't know if you're starting your week on a Monday or a Tuesday. Um, so we kind of got to the end of those letters to the specific churches, you know, the Ian churches, the, the uh, Thessalonians, and then, but even those ones that we're reading after that this week. Timothy was a pastor at, uh, and of the church in Ephesus, and Paul wrote him, and Titus was a pastor in Crete, and Paul wrote him. And so, but we got to the end of all those Ian books, those meaning the Philippians and the Colossians and the Galatians and the Ephesians. Those guys were all, those were letters written to specific churches. And um, so I wanted to talk about this idea of the church of saints and sort of almost, if we can, do this overview, go back and review sort of where we've been through all of these letters. And you might have seen it in my Facebook post. You know, we're posting, if you're not getting those or checking, we're posting on our Facebook site every day. Somebody in our staff is posting something from the reading that day, a little reflection. It's super fun to get in there and read that. And I posted something about how cool it was that this local church was... God's people in a very specific place. And it's so cool because I'm kind of a history nerd to picture who they were and what they were doing. But that's what each of these letters are about. Um, They're written to people at a certain place. And I wanted to go do an overview and see what we could see from that as we sort of go from 1 Thessalonians backwards through all of those letters. And I want to see if you can pick up some things that I did and uh, we'll reflect on it together on our way to the table. So check out the scriptures that are going to be up on the screen uh, behind us. These are the beginnings of all of these books, starting with that first book that we read this week of uh, 1 Thessalonians, which was the end of those letters to churches. See what you see in here. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then say those other words with me. Grace and peace to you. So this is to the church of the Thessalonians. In God, the Father, and Lord Jesus, grace and peace to you. Look at Colossians. Go back a book. We're working our way toward the front now. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Those were the guys who wrote it together, Paul and Timothy. To God's holy people. By the way, that's the word saints. Do you have saints in your Bible? Say holy people. That's where we got the translation saint. It used to just say saints in there. That's what the word saints means, God's holy people, which we'll talk about in a minute. To God's holy people in Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Then read that part with me. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. I did that by myself. I think I just read it all by myself because I look out. Art, did you read that with me out loud? Yes. Oh, you <laughs> Thanks for... Thanks. <laughs> Go back a book. We're in Philippians. Paul and Timothy, again, writing this, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people. That's saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Read this with me. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back a book. Ephesians, first verses of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's what? Holy people. That's saints. That's the word saints. To God's saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Then read this with me. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back a book, the very beginning of the book of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men uh, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ. 
and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters who are with me to the churches in Galatia. Now we got a plural there. To all, he's writing to all those churches in that region of Galatia. And read that with me. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians, go back a book. Second Corinthians, very beginning of that book. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his, what? Holy people, that's saints. Together with all the saints throughout that region of Achaia. Read it with me. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back a book to 1 Corinthians, the very beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word sanctified means to those made holy. It's the same word. It's a version of that word. To those made holy in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Read it with me. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back a book to Romans Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, and then he lost his mind and he wrote about the gospel for five or six more verses. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, his holy people. Read it with me. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the church in, in Thessalonica, to the church in Colossae, to the church in Philippi, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Rome, to the church in Corinth. I want to look at this and go, who are we? And what would Paul have to say to us, to the church in Marin? So I want to study and see what we get from this overview First, let's go the meaning, because the meaning is what we've been starting with. The meaning means what is the plain meaning of the text, what's in here. A couple of points. One, Paul writes to these local churches about the big picture as well as the details of their real life together. Now, don't miss that. Paul writes to local churches. Paul is writing to these very real people with very little real roles who meet together in a very real house. There's something going on in that town. I mean, picture where, you know, you go to your cool maps in the back of your Bible, if you're a map nerd, and you look and you go, oh, there's Classy. That's so cool. They had a church in there, and these people met in their house, and they probably had somebody who brought the word, and they, maybe they had a little guitar player. Do they have? No, I don't think they had guitars. But they had worship in this place. It was was real people in a real town. It was God's people in that place. And Paul wrote to them to talk about the big picture. This is how we get our theology. Paul said, let's keep talking about Jesus so we know what is right and orthodox and what is true. So Paul was talking about the big picture, but he also talked about the details of their real life together. That's why you get lost when you're in Corinthians and you're writing, what? What is he writing about? About women and their head uncovered and their what? What? Because he's writing to some people about how they were worshiping and what the issues were and at that particular place and time. So here's Paul. This is what we see in these texts in this overview is that, didn't you see it when we read every single verse? It's like, to the church of God in Christ in Corinth, to the, church, the believers in blah, 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 to God's holy people in, it's a real place, talking about the big picture, but also the details of what's happening in their life. 
So that's what sort of you see in all of this. And he starts, the other point I need to make about this in the meaning, sort of the overview of what's here, he starts with his core message about who we are. There's an identity piece. There's this core message of who we are. It's our identity as saints to God's people, to the churches, to those sanctified in Christ, to those called to belong to Jesus, right? There's an identity piece to it. So when he starts out, he goes, hey, I'm going to write to you about the big picture and the small details, but I'm going to start with who you are, the core of your identity, who you are. I want to write letters like that. I want to write letters like that. I want to send an email to my wife about because I was realizing I forgot to pay a bill, and I want to send a letter, and I say, to Linda, my beloved wife, who is probably at her desk at her home office, she who raised my four kids and brought them into this world through great labor and pain and suffering, but yet is blessed by their incredible character. She who takes care of me and loves God and loves people, right? That's how I want to write. Wouldn't it be great if we wrote letters to one another and reminded each other of our identity? This is who you are. This is what you mean to me. This is your core understanding. So he starts all of his messages with some reminder of their identity. Did you see that in there? That's about what the saints thing is about. Their identity is they're God's holy people. And he keeps reminding them. Didn't you see it consistently all the way through? Isn't that weird? I didn't skip any books, you guys. Every single one of them. Don't forget who you are. He starts with the core message of who we are, but then he also adds, and what we will need. And we'll get to that in a minute, but you know the hint because you already memorized the scripture, grace and peace to you. Who we are, you're, you're God's holy people, called, belonging, faithful, all those words. This is who you are in Christ. And then every single last book, he says, grace and peace. He's going to talk about not only who we are, but what we're going to need, what we'll need. So let's look at the significance. What do we take from this thing? Well, I just want to go into who we are and what we need. So who does he say that we are? And if we were had our Bibles laid out and all the pages open and all that kind of stuff, we'd see all these things. But I tried to synthesize them a little bit. But I want to look at who, so then who are we? Who do we need to know we are is our identity. One is we're the church of God. We're the church. And we're the church of God. We're the church. We're God's people. That's what the church is. God's gathered people. We're the church of God. We're not just a club. We're God's church. And we're God's church in Marin. Did you find it interesting that in every single one of those passages, he said, to God's holy people in Philippi, in, because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, this, they were, all of these people were in a place. They were God's church in a place. We are God's church in Marin. We don't, we don't become God's church ethereally somehow sort of floating above our real lives. We're God's church in Marin. You're the, oh, I've said this before, you're the only you in your life. You're the only you in your marriage. You're the only you in your friendships. You're the only you in your neighborhood, in your cubicle. You're the only you. Friends, we're the only Marin covenant in Marin. And when you think broadly about all of the churches in Marin, we're the only God's people in Marin. You're part of it. Our identity is that we are God's people in Marin, and God has raised us up for such a time as this. Your life in Marin, God's plan. You with me on that? Do you hear me? 
Give me an amen, Art, please help me back there. Thank you. We're God's church in Marin. Now, we're the only God's people. There's the church. That doesn't mean our church is the only church, but all the churches of God in Marin, we're the church in Marin. You stop and think about that for a minute. You go, wow, how is God present in Marin County? In his people, in you. God's put us here to be in this very real place. That's what we see as, as part of this. So one of the significant things is, man, my identity, who we are, I'm part of the church in Marin. I'm part of God's presence in this county. The second thing I see in this, and I saw it in the Romans passage at the end there, and there's some hints of it in the other passages, we are loved. Romans 1.7, you know, says, those of you to all in Rome who are loved by God, there's this core sense of, like, he doesn't leave out the foundational reality that this is part of our identity. You're God's church in Marin, and you're loved. To all who are loved by God in, in Marin, he goes, I don't want you to miss out what the foundational under, uh, kind of uh, premise is of your identity in Christ. You're the God's loved people. And he wants to remind us of that because it, it has to be our foundational understanding of our identity as God's church. We're God's loved people because any other sort of founding premise is a distortion of our identity in God. Any other, found, any other premise is sort of a, of a distortion. Like, like, like God is some sort of an angry taskmaster and I'm just trying to live my life in a way that there's some sort of spiritual karma doesn't come back and bite me in the tail. Like, like I'm trying to just be an okay person. Like that is not who you are. You're God's love people. Or, or like that God is some other premise we could, we could be thinking is that God's sort of this prude old man in the sky and he's outdated and he doesn't think the way we think anymore and I kind of just hide most stuff from him because he won't get it. Friends, we got to get real about our understanding as the word reveals who God is. He's foundationally this God of love who is delighted in you and has a relationship with you. He's not some angry old man who doesn't get your life and you just hide from him. Any other founding premise other than that we're loved by God is not an understanding, a correct understanding of who we are, what our identity is. And he's not some impersonal force that is out there where we sort of live that pragmatic agnosticism where we go, I don't know, he's maybe out there and it doesn't really impact me and I just kind of live my life. We're missing out on life that he has, friends, because that's not who he is. We are loved by God. We are in a love relationship with God. I don't know if you're comfortable with the love language, if you're a touchy-feely kind of person, if you're the, you know, the old story about the, you know, the man the, uh, they've been married 50 years and his wife's like, you know, you never tell me you love me. Like, you never, like, I just want you to hear, I just want to hear that. I want the words to come out like, and he just looks there and he's like, I told you I loved you on the day we got married. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> so I don't know where you're at in terms of being the lovey-dovey kind of a thing, but isn't it extraordinary to you that God chose to use this metaphor of love and it's just human love. It's passion, it's heart, it's relationship. We all get it. We know what it feels like to be in love and to love someone, be loved by someone. We get what that feels like. That's how God says that's the foundation of our identity with him. We're loved by God. He's thrilled about who you are and who you can be and, and to be in a relationship with you. His eyes light up when you walk into the room, so to speak. I've said this before. He's got your picture on his refrigerator, for goodness sakes. And when the angels come in the kitchen, he's like, ah, have you seen Al? Love that guy. 
Who are we? We're the church of God in Marin, and we're loved, and that's the foundation of us. In fact, the first Thessalonians passage that we started with, after it starts with its stuff, it goes on in verse 4 to say, for we know, brothers and sisters, comma, loved by God, comma, that he has chosen you. He picked you because he wanted to be in a relationship with you. That's our identity. Any other image that we carry into this, what is the nature of a relationship with God, a distant God, an angry God, is a distortion of this love relationship. We're the church of God. We're loved. And we're God's holy people. You see that. This is where we're getting to the saints part. We're God's holy people in Christ Jesus. We're God's saints. And saints aren't reserved for the people that, you know, are in the old uh, paintings, and they aren't reserved for the old uh, monks, and they aren't reserved just for the Roman Catholic tradition. We're talking about the saints of God as God's holy people. And this is what it means, friends. First of all, we're God's holy people. Look at the apostrophe S. We're the the holy people of God, it says in the Greek. There's a belonging thing there, and you saw the belonging in one of those other verses. You've been called to belong to him. So there's a possession thing. God is like that. Dorothy is mine. Roberta is my daughter. Choose her. I pick her, and she belongs to me. Not belongs like a slave or a possession or a, right? But belongs as in we belong together. So for sure, there's this God's possession, God's belonging thing that's there. But there's also this, and this is the main idea of the word saints, God's holy people. The word holy or the word saint, holy people or saint, means set apart, consecrated, set aside for a special purpose. And you see this word, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament especially, where you see it, it's like that there's these, these uh, uh, items that were used for worship in the temple, and they were you know, holy items, and they were set aside for a special purpose use in the ceremonies of the temple. They weren't common bowls. They weren't, they weren't just everyday kinds of things, or they weren't, they were set aside for special use, consecrated. And you have some stuff like that. You've got, you know, you got your special, do you take the nice car when you go to dinner? I don't know. What's your special thing that you set aside for special use? You got your nice watch that you don't wear every day. You, you know, it's this uh, consecrated, And it really has this meaning to it, that it is ceremonially acceptable to God for his use. Think about that for a minute. Ceremonially, like a ceremony, ceremonially, is that the right word? Is that how I say that? Ceremonially? It's acceptable to God in a formal way. In other words, God goes, listen, for my special, most intentional most intentional, special uses, this works for me. That's the idea here. You're God's people who are special vessels set aside for God's exact use for what he intended to use it for. That's who you are. I like that intentional piece. Acceptable to God for his intentional use, the most formal. This is how I want to use you. You hear the use part too? You hear the part about being God's servants in that, being useful to God? So we belong to him, but we're also set apart for special use. 
And a couple of words that come to mind here when you start thinking about God being God's saints who are consecrated to him and to his special use alone. There's this word sanctified. And sanctified means that we are made holy. Sanctified just means we're made holy in Christ. We're, we're, he's the one that did it. By his work, by his love, by his grace, he has cleansed us. So we're sanctified, made clean for God's use. Don't miss this. You, by the work of Jesus, by his forgiveness, his blood shed on the cross, have been made clean so that you can be consecrated for God's special purposes. That's who you are. Most of us still carry around the notion that somehow we've blown it or that we're dirty or that we're weak or that we're, we've ticked God off so far that we can't ever really be used by him and that's not your identity. You're God's set-apart people because Christ made you acceptable to be useful to God. They're sanctified. And then there's also called in there. Sanctified and called. These are all words that I just pulled right out of all those first couple of verses of each of those books. Sanctified and called. And called now. Come on now. Listen. It's the called is it's this. It's come on now. You're God's holy people, set aside for God's special use. Come on now. Come be used, God says. It's this calling, this invitation, this reaching out that God does to every, everyone in this room. God has done a thing where he's gone into your hearts and said, come, come out. Come beyond where you've been living. I have special purposes for you. Devote yourself to me. Be my purpose, my person for my purposes. Come, come on. We're sanctified and we're called to be the saints, to be God's holy people. What else is in there? A couple of last thoughts on this, on this with who we are. We're the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what we're called to be. We're called to be faithful, not called to be faithful, just the moral piece. For sure, we're called to, the, to this morality thing. We, we, when we reduce Christianity to you being God's holy people, oh, you're holy, you're saintly. That means you're moral. You're more moral than the next guy. So you put yourself on the moral scale and you end up feeling a little bit superior because you're better than the loser who lives down the block from you. When we reduce Christianity to the moral thing, we have, I think we have spit upon the holy calling that God has given us. It is not about morality. Of course you're going to be moral because you're called out. You're called up. You're called into a life as his people. Of course you're going to be moral sometimes, and then you're going to depend on his grace when you're not. But it isn't about morality. It's about being faithful to live into the identity. I belong to you. I am the church of God in Marin. I am loved by God. I am God set apart, special. I belong to him, and I'm consecrated for him, and I'm sanctified by Jesus, and I'm invited to live for him. That's what we're faithful to. Faithfulness, friends, isn't that you go tomorrow and try to sin a little bit less. Faithfulness tomorrow is that you live fully into the reality that God is your Savior that you live for him, and that today is hit for him and his glory. That's what faithful is. Faithful as brothers and sisters. And you'll be moral because you can't be faithful to that calling and live beneath it. Come on. You can't live beneath it. I just got beneath it, I realized, unconsciously. 
You can't live beneath it. That's why there's that thing that we call the conscience. When you're a follower of Christ and you've been loved and sanctified and invited into your identity as a holy one for his purposes, when that happens and you live beneath it by clicking on that stuff or living in greed or living living in anxiety or whatever, you feel sick about it because it's beneath your calling. It's faithful to live fully into our identity. And we're going to do that together with all the other churches. And I just love that that's in there. Then Galatians, and then there's one about all the other regions in Achaia. There's this, there's more than just us. Sometimes we think, oh, I found the right church and everybody else or some version of a little bit less than that. Oh, please. The whole church pride thing is just obnoxious. We're all God's people all together. And, and you know what? That doesn't mean there's different styles or there's other things. And, you know, we all have our judgments or whatever. But hopefully we'll minimize that stuff and we'll maximize what brings us the unity. But all together, all the churches in Galatia, all the churches in the region, we're all this identity. So this is who we are. Man, isn't that rich? And this is what we need, he says. So he says, to the church in Marin, you're loved, you're called, and this is what we need. Grace and peace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and and peace to you from God the Father. Grace and peace to you. It says over and over and over again in the text, grace and peace. This is what we need to live into this identity and be faithful together. Grace and peace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace Why did he say that to everybody? I mean, to every church in every letter, why did he start by saying grace, grace, grace? Because to live out our identity, most of us need to remember that it is by, we constantly need to remember that it is by the work of Jesus that we're sanctified and and made holy for God, set apart for him. We could never have done it on our own and we could never measure up to the perfect standard of being holy anyway, perfect anyway. And so we need his grace. We need his unmerited favor. We need God's unconditional love and mercy and acceptance. Here's the point. Why? So that we can remember and know that nobody can miss out on living this calling if they simply want to accept the invitation. Nobody misses out. Nobody. It's for everybody, including you even at your worst. Grace meets you even and mostly when you are at your worst. That's why this is such good news, that we've been invited into this identity, loved by God, called by God, set apart for his purposes, to be his people in Marin. And it's not because of anything special we are. It's because of his unmerited favor, and nobody can miss out on that if they say yes to the invitation. Grace and peace, he says, and grace. Grace meets you even when you're at your worst, even when you think somebody's going to find out who you really are, even when you think, man, I'm not worthy to come to the table. I'm not worthy to be a set-apart follower of Jesus. I'm not worthy grace meets us in that. So he says, don't forget it's grace, grace, grace. And then you'll receive peace, grace and peace. Peace with God now. You're at peace with God. What more could you do? You've said yes to his invitation and it's been provided by grace. So there's peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ.
We're done striving. There's peace. We're right with God. We're welcomed with God. We're fully accessible. Uh, God's fully accessible to us. There's peace. And then, of course, there's peace in our hearts because we're done striving and we've been received just the way that we are. So this is the significance. We are all these things. Don't we want to live into that identity? And we're going to need grace and peace to do it. And so our response is that we come to the table. We come to the table because of who you are. You come to the table because of who you are. Not as an uninvited guest, not as an empty ritual, not as some sort of a magic thing that goes on up here, but you come to the table not trying to appease God who might be there, not trying to appease God who might be mad at you, but we come to the table because you are sanctified in Christ, loved, belonging to him, and we come together, the faithful brothers and sisters. We come because of who we are, friends, that we just talked about, set apart people of God. And when we come, it reminds us of all the things that we really are, forgiven, cleansed, able to be in the presence of God, belonging to him, set apart ceremonially acceptable to God for his most formal use, his most intentional use of you. So we come and we meet Jesus at the table. We come to the table because of who we are. And we come to the table because of what we need, right? We come to the table because we need what? Grace and peace. We come to the table because we need grace and peace. That's our response. The invitation is to come, and so we come because we need God's grace. We need a reminder of God's grace. We need a reminder. These words, Paul says, listen, this is what I heard from, from, from the Lord. This is what I heard from the other believers. It's been passed on to me. I'm going to pass it on to you. The night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he said, after supper, we, they took the cup and they poured it, and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, the new agreement in my blood, an agreement of forgiveness and mercy and grace. He said, when you, do, when you come together, drink this and do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you remember, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You remember what he's done for us. And I would add, yeah, we're remembering who we are and what we need.